one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. You're listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello listeners, how are you? Hope you're doing well. Very nice to be talking to you again on the podcast. I'm fine, thanks for asking. Uh absolutely fine, thanks. The weather suddenly has gone good. It was all muggy and sort of humid and a bit too hot and grey and a bit rainy the last few days, but the sun has come out. So that's a very nice welcome change. Blue sky, sunshine, and it must be about 25 degrees. Again, the weather is solid here at uh, podcast headquarters. Um, is this going to be a, a sort of a new thing? Am I going to do a weather report at the beginning of every episode? I don't think so. That's That's more of a Rick Thompson thing, isn't it? The Rick Thompson report usually begins with a weather report. Um, uh, I've mentioned Rick Thompson now, and people will be thinking, oh, can we have more Rick Thompson reports? Uh, yes, that's in the pipeline, okay, always. And some other interesting things in the pipeline too, including an announcement, which um, I'll be making on the podcast soon, which is uh, cool. So good news, I, I think. Anyway, oh, a little teaser there. Let me tell you about this episode. So in this episode, you're going to listen to me in conversation with Matt Halsdorf, who is an English teacher with many years of teaching experience. And we're going to be discussing the question of whether native English speakers are in fact the worst communicators in an international English environment. Matt is currently working on a project with Christian Saunders from Kangaroo English. I think the project sounds really interesting and raises a few good questions about how native speakers of English and non-native speakers communicate with each other, what non-natives really struggle with in this language, and whether native speakers can do anything to help. If you saw my latest video interview with Christian from Kangaroo English and you watched until the end, you might remember us discussing this project briefly. If you remember, Christian mentioned a training course in communication in English, but the twist is that it's for native speakers. More specifically, it's for native English speakers who need to communicate internationally. Because it's not just learners of English who need training in this language. Apparently, it's native speakers too. English is a global language and everyone is using it for business and also for travel purposes. Everyone needs to use this language to communicate successfully so the world can continue spinning, basically. Everyone uses English and everyone has to work on the way that they use it in the same way that we all have to work on other things like uh, we have to work on our email writing and IT skills to make them as efficient and effective as possible. As a non-native speaker of English... Of course, you've got to work on the entire system. You need vocabulary, you need correct grammar, you need clear pronunciation, fluency, confidence, and so on. Obviously, that's 
what's involved in trying to use another language. You learn as you go and you try to do your best and you almost certainly feel a great deal of responsibility, pressure and challenge when communicating in English, especially if you are talking to native speakers. You're probably keenly aware of your performance in English and sensitive about any kind of failure in communication and how that might be your fault. Uh, But do native speakers share a similar sense of responsibility? In fact, here are a number of of other questions. Um, Here are a number of other questions which arise when thinking about this topic. So, do native English speakers do all they can in international situations to make sure that they are understood clearly, just like everyone else does? Are native speakers aware of what it's like to operate in a second language? Might there be other reasons why native English speakers don't adapt the way that they speak in order to improve shared communication? Who is responsible for the success of any act of communication, just one side or both? Should native speakers adapt their English? Or is it up to the non-natives to do all the heavy lifting in this situation? And if native speakers should adapt their English, how should they do it? What kind of English should they avoid and what kind is likely to be the most successful? And what about other considerations and questions, such as what happens to the English language when it is being adapted in this way? Well, I am interviewing Matt today in order to discuss these things and to find out about this project in general. First, we're going to take a few minutes to get to know him, and then we're going to dive into this training project for native speakers, which is called the Travel Adapter, by the way. That's the name of the, the, the training course, the Travel Adapter. We're going to find out about the project, about what native speakers do and say, which can be so confusing, how native speakers can facilitate communication with non-natives, and the wider issue of global English and successful international communication. And as well as getting into the specifics of this conversation, you can certainly learn about some of the major obstacles that non-native speakers have when understanding natives. So there's plenty to pick up from this. There is a YouTube version too, just in case you need to see our faces as well as listen to that, uh, as well as listen to us. And you can find that on my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Luke's English Podcast. Okay, right. So let's get started. And here we go. Hello, we're talking about language. Sit down, let's have a chat. A bit of a chat, sir. A bit of a chat, yes, Roger, just a bit of a chat. (laughs) What about, sir? About English as a global language. This is a conversation. Yes. I would like to talk to you. Okay, let's talk. Let's have a quick conversation, huh? What do you think? That's what we're going to do. We're going to have a good time. We're going to have a conversation about language. Matt, hello. Welcome onto the podcast. Yeah, hello. It's awesome to be here, by the way. Um, I'm an English teacher, and so you have no idea how many times um, my students mention your name here and there. Really? So it's strange to speak to you. Yeah. Randomly wow. pops up. Have you heard wow. that podcast with Luke? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow, how nice. It's weird. People say that to me every now and then. Um, and I'm, I'm always kind of like, what, Really? like i know that people out there listen to my podcast but then sometimes when someone says that like a person Mm -hmm. says oh yeah people mention your podcast all the time i kind of like what really people are actually talking about it i should know after 
It's been 12 years, you know. I suppose I am yeah. speaking with English learners all day, so it's not like it comes up in a cafe with a random person, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you're in a taxi in London and the dri- taxi driver says, oh, have you listened to that Luke's English podcast? Very good. No, yeah, of course. Right. Uh, yeah. So Matt, uh, yeah. Matt, Matt, let me ask you the sort of basic um, questions just to get to know you. So uh, where are you from? How long have you been teaching? Uh, and so on. So we'll start with where are you from? Where are you from? Where am I from? That's always an interesting question. So where was I born? I was born in California. Um, I'm from Southern California. That's where I grew up. I went to, to college, to university and everything. Um, yeah, but then when I was around 20, in my early 20s, um, I started traveling and I moved to Europe kind of spontaneously without a plan. Mm. Um, and I've been here for what? Since 2004. So almost 20 years, a little under 20 years. Yeah, I'm in Italy, right. in the northwest of Italy. Um, I lived in Germany for six and a half years and then here in Italy. And I've been teaching that whole time teaching English. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great. Wonderful. What, what, what's so appealing about uh, Europe or Italy more specifically? <laughs> um, you know, I think every place has their some adv- advantages and disadvantages, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, why did I come to Italy at the beginning? I was very young. I came because I was interested in history, traveling. I love culture. And honestly, in my early 20s, I thought the girls were really pretty in Italy. <laughs> I suppose they that are, I mean, do you do still think they're yeah. do you still think they're pretty? Yeah, my wife's Italian, so I guess we can confirm that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So it wasn't planned. Let's say that was spontaneous. I had gone to university to be a teacher. I'm originally an elementary school teacher. That was my plan. Um, mm. But at that point in my life, I hadn't started doing that. I had a chance to travel and. I think that was the best education I ever got, honestly, was traveling around a bit. Yeah, me yeah. too. Traveling, teaching English to people from around the world. Yeah, totally. It just uh, really helped me in many ways, gave me skills and things, communication skills and more. Right. And you know Christian Saunders. Um, yeah. You work together on the project that we're going to talk about. How do you know Christian? So Christian from Kanguro English, which he's been on your podcast, what, two times, I think? And I'm sure a mm-hmm. lot of people know mm-hmm. him. Um, I knew him as well, just as a YouTube viewer, I guess. That may sound strange because you would think, why is an English teacher watching other English teaching channels, right? Um, but <laughs> yeah. maybe because I need to improve my English. But mostly because Christian has a lot of content there where he speaks to linguists. It's, he speaks to people in the industry. And, um, yeah, whenever I, I saw these videos, I just was nodding my head a lot and like, yeah, I, I really agree with this guy. And he has the same hairstyle as I do. Maybe that brought me to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, then one day I saw him reading the dictionary for 20 hours or whatever it was. He was doing this thing of raising money and reading the dictionary and, yeah, I saw he started this charity project where he was raising money to build a school in, in Laos. And basically, I thought that was cool. And I got in contact with him in a roundabout way. And I said, uh, yeah, if you need any other teachers to help volunteer for this thing you're doing, I'm here if you want. And yeah, I started volunteering for this group he has. And that's how we got to know each other. 
And eventually that's how okay. we got into this project together. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So the project that we're going to talk about is called the Travel Adapter. Um, so what is it? What What is this project then? Tell us about the Travel Adapter. Yeah. So I think the best way to explain this is maybe to describe a situation, which I think a lot of mm -hmm. the people listening to this are learning English, and they may have experienced this situation. So this is about native speakers adapting their English to an international group. But, but let me give you an image or paint a picture. Yeah, create an image. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Think that we're sitting in an international meeting, right? And we have two people from Italy, two from France, two from Brazil, and they're communicating together. Um, there are grammar mistakes flying around this room everywhere. <laughs> people are using <laughs> Everyone is saying, I am agree, and right. uh, it depends of and all those classic mistakes. Yes, yeah. okay. I presentate, I presentated this yesterday, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> there are lots of mistakes going on, but so what? This isn't an English class. This isn't a standardized test. These people are just trying to communicate as fast as they can, probably, because it's a work situation. And they're doing a good job. Yeah, they, they understand each other. They find yeah. their way without a lot of problems most of the time. Despite the, the so-called mistakes, they are able to understand each other fine. Yeah. Right. They're focused on communication, which should be always our, our first goal. And it's working, right? But mm -hmm. then let's imagine we have two people join the meeting, the Zoom meeting, um, and one's from, I don't know, from the UK and one's from California. Okay. <laughs> it's you and me, basically. We join the meeting. Like, uh, we heard that you're having a successful meeting. We need to stop that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> basically. <laughs> we jump in and basically what happens, it gets quiet. Everyone gets quiet. People start to mute their microphones sometimes. If we could observe them, probably people close their eyes and they lean in towards their computer a little, a little as they try to understand. And the native speakers start to confuse people more than anyone else. And because of that, they start to dominate the call probably. And they make a joke and only 20% of the people understand. Um, the native speakers basically are doing a lot of complex things that are confusing everyone. And this travel after travel adapter idea is basically about helping them learn how to adapt to an international environment because uh, research has shown, and I imagine you as an English teacher maybe have seen this in your own experience, that some of the worst communicators out there in an English environment group, an international group of people speaking English, very often are, are you and me, are us, are the native speakers. So that's what this project is about. So what is it that native speakers do wrong then? I mean, okay, we, we should probably address already at the beginning. I was going to address this question later, but it's already in my mind, which mm -hmm. is the question of who is it that has the responsibility for uh, successful communication in this situation? And if English is the language that's being spoken... Surely it should be the people who are learning it who have the responsibility to sort of get their English up to a decent level so that communication can be successful. Those are questions that I, I just feel like I should put on the table right now because people will be thinking of them. So who's responsible for the successful communication and shouldn't the learners of English learn English rather than the native speakers sort of simplifying their English and simplifying the English language? Yeah. Hmm. I think it's a good question, and we should speak about it. 
I don't think it's about simplifying as well, which is another thing, but we can come back to that. Um, but it's communication, right? And communication is always a two-way dance. It's always a two-way thing. I think it's both of our responsibilities. And the English learner should, of course, work on their English, learn as much as they can. And in fact, they're already doing that. I think most of the people listening to this have already spent hundreds, if not thousands of hours, probably working on their English to improve their English. And if there's a gap in the middle, let's say we're, we're having miscommunication, right? Um, yeah, the, the English learners are building a bridge over this gap. It's like in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. There's a long bridge <laughs> that goes across yeah. the gap. And the English learners ha- are building a bridge. They've been doing that all their lives. There's crocodiles at the bottom as, as well. Don't yeah. forget, there's a lot of man-eating crocodiles down there too. So if the bridge d- fails, then everyone's going to get eaten. Yes. So this is important. Yeah. We're all going to die or we'll get fired or we're going to have some big problem <laughs> in a relationship yeah. or whatever it is. Um, yeah. the, the challenge is most of the time what's going on, though, and I don't think the native speakers are doing this out of, you know, malice, which means to be evil or <laughs> mean yeah. or something um, or or anything like that. But most of the time, they're just sitting on their side of the canyon or the, the river, whatever it is, and they're just hanging out. So it's just waiting <laughs> for the English learner to come over. And I think it's fair. Yeah. It, it is fair. It's, it would, it's equal <laughs> that they're at least putting a hand out. Maybe they're even building a little bit, a bridge to meet in the middle. And yeah, so I think it's both of our responsibility. Should be anyways. Yes. I don't know if it is today in, in many conversations, but it should be, mm-hmm. I think. We can come back to yeah. some of the wider issues and stuff later. I think my original question, <clears throat> before, my, before I change my mind, the original question, I think, was what is it specifically that native speakers are doing? So, first of all, yes, they're not sort of, as you say, extending a hand or building the bridge to meet in the middle. But are there any sort of specific uh, language-related things that native speakers do that make things complicated for learners of English or non-native speakers? I think we're doing a lot of things without realizing it. That's the thing. We're just unaware of it um, for many other Mm -hmm. reasons. Um, But yeah, so just let's give an example. Let's let's take one example, but there are many. So it's not just that we are speaking too fast. That could be a point, could be. It could be that we have a strong regional accent and we're not, uh, let's say, changing that a little bit. But those aren't the only reasons, okay? Another example could be that we use uh, lots of idioms, so lots of expressions that are really confusing. And if we just use a, let's use a sports idiom, for example, like mm-hmm. as an American, I might say, um, I'll take a rain check on that, okay? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> okay, it means something very, <laughs> do you even know that one? <laughs> No, well, I've heard that many times. Yeah, I've I've heard it many, many times. In fact, with my friends, we find it to be kind of a kind of a funny phrase, and we use it. It's like, let me take a rain check. And what is a rain check? I've no idea. You checking the rain? I don't understand it. And what that is is that it comes from the game of baseball, of American baseball, and a cultural thing from history. And if it was raining, they would cancel the game, so they gave you a paper, and you could come back to a a future game for free, basically. Okay. Okay? 
so it's like a oh the check is literally the the sorry the paper. piece of paper uh with the that's like a ticket i see like a range ticket rate. you could come back if it's a rainy day okay i see but so that's just an expression that maybe an american might use the thing mm-hmm. is in our first language and this is valid for any first language by the way not only english in our first language we use a lot of complex vocabulary expressions idioms like that things referencing our culture um mm-hmm. And we don't think about it because, of course, we're just speaking fluently. Um, but those are really complex for people learning English. I mean, how many idioms are in the English language? And everyone is learning those, but there are thousands of them to learn, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And even between us, between a, an American speaker and somebody from the UK, we also have sometimes some confusions there. So... If you use a cricket reference with me or an idiom, I, I may have no idea what it means as well. Absolutely. Right? We so, would joke about it, but... <laughs> yeah, I might use a yeah. cricket. I mean, I, um, I did an episode with my cousin uh, who lives in California, actually. Um, he works in a company out there. And it was all about just moments when he said things and all, the, all his American colleagues have kind of gone, what? What do you want about? Like, even right. stuff like... Idioms which we both understand, but which are just not used. For example, he says, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm on the case. Don't worry, guys, I'm on the case. I'm on mm. the case, meaning I'm going to deal with it. But apparently his American colleagues are like, what, you're on the case? Like Sherlock Holmes? You know, yeah, they, <laughs> they found that sort of funny. I hear that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a detective yeah. investigating rather than just someone who is taking responsibility for something. So, yes, even between British and American English, uh, we, d- the idioms do cause confusion, certainly, yeah, sometimes. Right. Um, part of this travel adapter thing is trying to take to, to, let's say, train or I don't know if train is the right word, but help the native speaker adapt and just be aware mm-hmm. of that because most of us are not. So um, instead of saying, I'll take a rain check on that, I should say in an international group, something like, um, yeah, I'll return to that later. Or I'll come back to you. What, whatever. I explain it in another way that's just simpler in an in a international group. It's easier to understand. Or maybe I check. Yeah. Do you know this expression? Have you ever heard this? <laughs> and then I, I check. Do you know what it means to be on the case? And the guy will probably say no. And then I can explain it if I want yes. to. Yeah, that's right. I mean, as English teachers for you know long time, we've slowly just developed these skills bit by bit, where you just right. naturally learn how to grade your English and you know communicate with people who who are learning the language. But yes, it's something that most, I guess, most native speakers, unless they are, unless they've had a long career internationally, a lot of native speakers don't have to consider those things. And then when they suddenly are all thrown into a meeting together, yeah, that's when things start to get a bit uh, complicated. So, right, idioms, where did you learn this um, from? I, you learned this from from teaching, I suppose. I I did as well. Yeah. That you would just say something and nobody would understand you. You see it in their faces, or you you hear it. And you oh, yeah. develop over a lot of time a kind of filter or radar or something in front of you that's there's this idiom coming towards you and you uh, you take it and you adapt it or you avoid it, yeah. Mm. And mm. I don't think that native speakers, most native speakers, have ever had that experience, mainly because they have never learned another language. Okay. Um, yeah. 
And they haven't been in the international environment to, to pick it up. Yeah. That's right. A lot of native speakers have got no idea what uh, these non-native speakers are actually going through and what it feels like to be in that situation where you're in a meeting trying to do it in another language. I mean, most native speakers are spoiled by the by privilege, by the fact that English is the uh, is the lingua franca. And so then, you know, English people or American people don't really feel the need to learn languages. And so they are not very... I wouldn't say it's, it's not the word sympathetic, but they just don't really know what the other people are going through. That how how uh, how much pressure and how uh, uh, horrible it can be when you're trying yeah. to communicate in another language. They've yeah. never had that experience, right? which I think both of us have had. You've had it with French, right? Yeah. I've had it with Italian or mm-hmm. German, and all mm-hmm. of our English learners have had it. Where you're sitting with a group. And you just don't understand, or maybe you do, but you're too slow to speak, so you feel very frustrated. And that yes. feeling is a really important feeling to experience. And we need to remember that most native English speakers simply have never, they've never had that feeling. Um, yeah, they're, yeah, they're just not aware of exactly. it. Exactly, they could imagine it, but they're just not aware of it. Right? Yeah, I mean, it is an, a thing to experience. I mean, again, mm-hmm. you can imagine it, but actually experiencing it is quite a visceral feeling of confusion and doubt and suddenly a lot of pressure like you talked about building the bridge like learners of english definitely take a ton of responsibility because they feel really self-conscious about their english they feel a great deal of pressure uh, to to understand and to be understood and all these these strong feelings whereas native speakers just like oh it's just another day at the office you know they don't sort of feel the same level of of pressure also right. i think that native speakers don't always know, as you said, I mean, there's the idioms and stuff, but there are other things too that right. native speakers might not realize what it is about English that's difficult. Right. right. I think another reason here why we are bad at maybe what we're not very good at adapting, right? Um, not only have we never learned another language, but most English speakers have never learned very much about English itself. <laughs> and um, because in our yeah. school system, we don't study. I think it's shocking for many of my Italian students to or German students to hear that, yeah, I never studied grammar in my school in the U.S. And I went to university and all, you know, um, we never spoke about present perfect. Um, even if you... Even if I wanted to adapt my grammar, let me say, I've never learned my own grammar. <laughs> so that's also another challenge mm. and another reason why it's maybe hard to adapt. So another problem, another challenge that we present very often are using phrasal verbs, right? And every English learner knows phrasal verbs can make you go crazy. <laughs> it's give in, give up, <laughs> give out. Oh, my God, I have to put this together like two Legos and make a you know, match that together, that's something that's really complex about the English language for most learners. And um, as an English speaker, I think most English speakers have no idea what a phrasal verb is. No. So no. So if I tell you don't use phrasal verbs, try to avoid them because they're very confusing. Yeah, that's really hard because the English speaker doesn't even know what a phrasal verb is really. And also the thing about phrasal verbs is that some native speakers might assume that those phrases are easier than their equivalents because what it, the way it works with nat- with uh, phrasal verbs is that usually you've got in English you've got the phrasal verb and then the sort of uh, single verb equivalent 
and the single verb equivalent is often going to be a longer verb, probably with a Latin origin mm. and a bit more formal. So you've got, let's say, formal and f- informal. And I mean, it's a bit basic to say it, but often the phrasal verbs are slightly less formal and they have a short verb and then a, some kind of particle. And the short verbs are typically things like get or pick or, you know, um, run or short little words like that. Mm-hmm. And then the other ones are the more difficult words. But right. certainly if you are speaking to people who have, you know, uh, if, if you're speaking to French or Italian or Portuguese speakers, um, those quote unquote difficult words are actually the easier words for them. Uh, but an, uh, a native speaker might assume, well, if I am using these little words like cut, pick, get, and so on, that that is easier. But if you know, if you're filling your English with what I guess what you could describe as delexicalized verbs, verbs that don't have a lot of clear meaning, verbs that could mean anything, if you just you know, depending on the way you combine them with other words that could mean anything. So if you're using phrases like get into, get through to, get you know, get round to, uh, copy me in on, you know, all those sorts of things, then. Again, a native speaker might assume that the, the short words are the simple words, these are the easy words, and the big words are complicated. But actually, it's the other way around a lot of the time. Yeah. A lot of learners of English need those big words because those are the ones that are the same in their language in many cases. Right. I completely agree. And if we think when we speak to children in, the U- in, in English countries, English monolingual countries, we use that like give up. You know, don't give up. Okay. Um, yeah, maybe I should say, you know, don't stop trying, don't surrender, whatever surrender, whatever the the longer version would be. Yeah. But we wouldn't say that normally. We would normally in our spoken English use the the phrasal verb option. And that's why all of everyone is learning phrasal verbs all the time and you'll probably be doing that the rest of your life and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But um in my opinion, if if we're in an international group and Everyone is using the word like distribute and not hand out or whatever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we as a native speaker can not always, but sometimes adapt our language, we would be easier to understand. Okay. Or even, even just if you, if those native speakers understand that this room of people, they're going to understand distribute. They're not going to understand hand out, but distribute, uh, but hand out is the phrase. So in a way, it's like native speakers, as custodians of this language, we also have to be a bit like English teachers. Everyone has to suddenly take on that responsibility. So you would say, let me just distribute these, or actually we'd probably say, let me just hand these out to you. I'm just going to hand out these things. Uh, being aware of it, that they understand distribute, but you don't want to use distribute because it sounds right. too formal. And so you right. say hand out. You know, sometimes just that awareness can feed into your communication where you are looking at the language, sort of the metacognitive side of it, you know, where you kind of are aware of the language that you're using, that can make a huge difference to being uh, understandable, you know, that you're Huge difference. I think that little explaining, let's say, maybe if I'm aware of these things, I use it naturally, but when I catch myself using it, I just have a one second explanation (laughs) of whatever that means, or I check with my listeners is that clear? Do you guys know that? Or um, 
Is it all good? Yeah. And you know, what do you understand by that? I, I ask them or I rephrase it as I'm speaking, and that makes me so much more friendly. It makes me so much more fair in a way um, in this conversation yeah. because I'm meeting people again in the middle. I'm adapting. Okay. Yeah. We talked about one of the reasons why native speakers don't adapt, and it's because they uh, aren't aware of what the, their counterparts are going through because they haven't learned the language, they don't know English very well themselves. But are there any other reasons why native speakers might be reluctant to adapt their speech? Let's see. What do you think? Um, I think mostly, in my experience with working with some native speakers, it comes down to just being unaware. Because most people actually want to help. I mean, they want to communicate. And if they also see that they can com adapt their language and, and it will go faster, I mean, that's better for them. So I think it's mostly down to unawareness, though I'm sure that there are some people out there who like to have the power. <laughs> because if you have the power <laughs> of the language, let's say in a business meeting, I have a lot of power in many ways. I can push you into a corner and block you into a way and make you feel frustrated and low and make you feel like you're not very intelligent because of the language. And I could use that as a weapon. Okay, we can use our language as a very, very powerful weapon. So yeah. are there people doing that? Probably. I imagine in some negotiations there could be. But I don't think that's the main Absolutely. thing going on. I also think that, that to an extent, native speakers uh, don't want to simplify their speech. And they don't, well, I say simplify. Yeah, they don't want to simplify their speech. They don't want to explain things because they don't want to put the other person out. Meaning they don't want mm -hmm. to seem patronizing they don't want it to seem, yeah, mainly patronizing. And I've seen this mm -hmm. from native speakers communicating with non-native speakers. And the non-native speakers are desperate for these native speakers to maybe speak more slowly or just to be a bit more clear, just to help in the communication. And they don't. And, and the learners of English get so frustrated. Why don't English people make more of an effort to mm. communicate and i think it's because they the english speakers are self-conscious and they don't want to seem patronizing or rude it would be quite rude for me to talk to you like you know do you understand what i'm saying you know that uh, native speakers perhaps don't want to come across as this kind of patronizing rude person but right in fact it's much more helpful than it is offensive i think there's a balance there and i think speaking about that feeling is correct because um if you exaggerate this, if you go too far, let's say, you, you could run into that feeling. But I'd also say it's from the second language speaker there of English to they need to speak together and find their good level. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's if I think he's patronizing me, I mean, maybe he's actually trying to help you in a way. And yeah. he's just unaware of how to do it, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So I think that there needs to be some, well, it's helpful if there's communication between the two to find the good, the good space. But we need to be aware of that. I don't want to call some, maybe in someone's culture as well. In some cultures, there's an idea kind of a face or having, a, you know, looking good. We all want to look good in front of our boss if the boss mm. is in the room <laughs> so I, if i ask someone did you understand that phrase they're probably going to say yes <laughs> even yeah. if they didn't okay certainly in, in in some cultures yeah definitely so there needs to be a balance there and i think just having that communication between both sides and um finding the good place the, the good space 
Mm-hmm. It is like an adapter. That's why we try to use this idea of an adapter. So I need to read the person in front of me, maybe in this case, find a little bit their English level or the group's level and adapt correctly to that level. We adapt all the time. I mean, think about when you speak to, you have a, a, a child, right? A small child. Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Your child, three she's, or four? She's right? three. She's three, three, three and a half. But let's say yeah. when you're speaking to your, when you're speaking to your daughter, you speak in one way. When you speak to a waiter, you speak to them in one way. When you speak to your boss, we speak to them in another way. At a football stadium, we speak in another way. We're always adapting our language all the time in our first language, depending on where we are and who's around us. And this is just another setting, if you want, on this adapter. So I don't think it's just simplifying your language. Would you say we simplify our language when we speak to children? I don't know. Maybe we do in some ways, but we adapt to them, right? Yes. We change change our intonation when we talk to children. Everything sort of becomes a lot more, you know, everything gets gets higher. higher. It's like a totally (laughs) Uh, different type of talking. Yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, in this case, if we can avoid patronizing by adapting to, to the right level. But we need to know how to, to read the level a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Do you find that, I mean, where are you with the project at this point? I mean, have you actually started training people with this or is it, where yeah, are you Yeah, so now? with Christian, we, we, we built this together. Let's say it came from multiple sources. Something I'm very interested, he's interested in. There's, there's research on this as well. Um, we put that together and we've created a workshop. We have a, a free pamphlet that has a, a lot of tips for native speakers, but we've run a few workshops with it as well with native speakers. Yeah. And um, it's very interesting to do that because I don't know, Luke, if you realize as an English teacher, you're really, really an expert at this. <laughs> so um, if you just take a group of random English speakers and you start to speak about this, yeah, they're interested in it. Most of them are interested in it and they're, they're quite unaware, I'd say of how to adapt. What are some of the typical things that people have said in workshops? Things like, um, oh, I never realized that. (laughs) Oh, that's not so difficult. I just need to be aware of it. Or that opened my eyes a little bit. Things like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've also heard, I felt like I was speaking to them as a child. One woman said, and you know, in the past I had to do an international thing and the, the interpreter told me to, corrected me a little bit <laughs> and told me to simplify. And she said, I felt like I was patronizing them. Like I was speaking to children, you know, I, I didn't want mm. to do that. Um, but now I see maybe I wasn't, that, that feeling wasn't exactly right. I, I was adapting my language to the group in a good way. Yeah. That, 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 that uh, thing about adapting, especially to lower level people can be, you're right. It can be very difficult. And I suppose it's one of the things I've developed over the 20 years of teaching. But it, I, I actually, thinking back at my teaching career, I think there were certain little breakthroughs. You know, you have little breakthroughs in your teaching where you feel like you've made progress. And I definitely remember one of the breakthroughs I made was when I learned how to talk to lower level students without felt feeling like I was patronizing them. And mm. it takes a while where you can sort of speak in quite a serious way about serious things, uh, but you've learned how to adapt your English. And so, and that's great. Like the, the learners absolutely love it. They love it when you are able to talk to them clearly without 
it being patronising. Because it does happen, does happen a lot, that people will, like, and I've seen English teachers do this, they're teaching lower level students so that automatically they start to kind of baby them. And it's like the way they communicate with them is it, they slip into that child speak or whatever it is. And that's that's horrible. That must be horrible for the learners as well. But yeah, there's a, there's, it's a different thing talking simply and clearly. I don't know. I keep saying simple, but I mean, just um, you, choosing your words you can, I think you carefully. can communicate really high level things. And if we look in history, we could look at many examples, really deep, high level things using simple language, using short, compact language, not just adding in a lot of, sorry for the bad word, bullshit (laughs) or extra things that we don't need to put in there that are, why are they there? Maybe it's just to show that I'm smart or something. It maybe takes away from the message. So a lot of the times in real life communication, we don't need that, that extra fluff if you want. It depends Mm. always on our situation. It depends what we're doing, where we are. Am I speaking in front of a, a university or am I speaking to my colleague? But most of the time, we're just speaking with other friends, colleagues, coworkers, things like that. And so, and it's not just about the words that you use, but about all the other stuff, all that nonverbal communication, all those other things. Like, um, again, I, you know, thinking about myself in classes, it's about sort of really engaging with the people you're talking to and making mm-hmm. eye contact with them and listening to them very carefully um, about really making that extra effort to engage with the people you're with rather than just thinking, if I just choose the right words and put them in the right order, that communication will succeed. It's not just the right words in the right order. It's about creating a connection with the people you're talking to and uh, on a human level, you know, and... Um, yeah. So those things, and I think, the, again, the awareness of what other people are going through when they're trying to speak your language helps to humanize you and then helps you to sort of essentially um, kind of get closer to the people you're talking to and uh, think about them and sympathize with them and, and, and so on. I think it generally makes people more thoughtful, um, I expect. Um, it's a human connection, as you said, this yeah. human connection. Yeah. That's the key there. I mean, I don't think we'll get this patronizing feeling if I'm being authentic and it's clear that um, I respect you and I understand how, for, yeah. how difficult this can be and I'm, I'm here to support you, basically. Um, I think then we, we don't have to worry too much about the patronizing thing if I'm yeah. being authentic and human, Yeah. <laughs> I think that that yeah, and and voids a lot showing respect as well. Showing respect, I think you know, I don't know. What do you think about even native speakers saying, you know, thank you very much for doing this in English. I really appreciate it. I feel like that would be a good thing to do. Probably little things like that are gold for anyone learning a language. I mean, if someone said that to me as I was trying to learn Italian or German, um, that just gives you such a smile. It because you're doing so much work. but it's often unseen, okay? Or you may feel like yeah. it's just expected somehow. But actually, you're doing really, really a lot of work, guys. And to learn a language is extremely complex. It's one of the biggest things you could attack or try to learn in the world, I think. There's so much inside of it. Um, so little comments like that are really, really helpful. Little comments for a native speaker at the beginning of the meeting, like, 
let's, okay, if I'm speaking with a mixed group, okay, let's remember everyone, we're in an international group, let's slow down a little bit. Just little comments like that really, really go a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And even I hope you understand me. Please ask me if you'd like to, if you'd like me to repeat something. And there are many other things which I'm sure that you cover in, in, in your project. You know, it's also about things like um, perhaps summarizing things yeah. that you've yeah. said, right? Sort of clarifying by summing up. Mm-hmm. One um, very helpful thing to do in general as speaking, um, as a native English speaker, an international group would be to rephrase things, to use something called signposting, which may be a new word for many people. Think of a signpost is that stick in the road <laughs> that tells you Paris is in 100 kilometers or what. Yeah. When I'm speaking, yeah. if I do that, I say, you know, first we're going to speak about this. Um, then I, then I speak about it at the end. I say, okay, now we're done speaking about this. Let's move on. I'm thinking in a business context here. Okay. Um, yeah. Let me summarize what we agreed on. Let me summarize what we said to be sure that it's okay. Every time I do that, I give a, a chance. I give a hand. I open a door for anyone who didn't understand me to come in. I'm kind of giving them the map, if you want, yeah. before we speak. And it's so helpful to do that. It's incredibly powerful to do that. So add in those phrases. I would add as well, even, I mean, just thinking back to my experiences as a teacher, that one of the most useful things is to to write the occasional word up on a screen or a board or something like that um and also to pay a lot of attention to the people you're talking to so i will talk to my groups and i can just smell it because i as a teacher you know i've just yeah. learned that you can just you can smell when they haven't understood something you know you just say something and then None of you understood that, did you? And then you have to go through it again. And sometimes the only thing they need is for the word to be written. Just that right. one word that they didn't get, just write it. And then they go, oh, like that. And they all then understand it. They know the word. It's just the way it's being said that, that has, right. um, you know, stumped them, to use a cricketing phrase. Yeah, stump them. Do you understand so how that? How could you adapt that to an international group? What does to stump someone mean? Stump. To stump someone. That's that's what's confused them or that's what has been very difficult for them. Right. Something like and that. And we do this all the time. I'm sure we have done it within our conversation here. With two native speakers together, you naturally just kind of motivate, motivate each other to to use fluent language. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, and then we use words like that, and um, that's exactly an obstacle. It's, it's like I've, sometimes I think of it like in a video game where you're running, and then there are holes you have to jump over or swing on a vine over or what. Yeah. And we're just throwing yeah. in a lot of different holes. And there are many of them. So <laughs> by doing those, those signposting things, those rephrasing, by writing that word on the board, by um, doing all of those things, you're just – presenting less holes to jump over okay yes what are more there, there are many other things um another one i would say is um maybe with pronunciation so it's just with actually yeah. our speaking um some things like we should try now we may know this but if we actually do it is another thing <laughs> we should try to avoid saying things like gonna when i should say going to or, or in it, mm-hmm. <laughs> or um, mm-hmm. yeah, I wanna when I could say want to. 
Now, that's maybe not so easy to do, but that's another helpful thing. We should pronounce our consonants as well. So um, if I say next, please, but in reality, in speaking, we probably say next, please. Next, please. Where's the tea go? <laughs> I eat the tea. <laughs> we drink our tea. Next, please. I don't say next. Next with the tea. <laughs> next, please. Yeah. Very often. So we kind of we mm-hmm. eat some of our consonants, or we we erase them, we 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 take them out, and yeah, if we're aware, we may be able to put those in there again, not to exaggerate it, but maybe they're there. So things like that. Hmm. Yeah, learning about how we connect all our words together, how some sounds get elided. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that most learners of English never studied. I don't have lots of English books behind me, but I don't think there are chapters about wanna, gonna, shoulda, coulda, woulda, coulda, all of that. What you mean for, for <laughs> English kids? Uh, English kids learners. Are, I mean, someone for, learning English is a second language. Yeah. Um, no, well, it's 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 not the primary thing that people learn. I mean, you know, there's connected speech and all of the sort of features of natural English communication these are sort of in the subcategory which some youtubers describe as secrets mm-hmm. um about language learning right. not that there are any secrets of course but this is the sort of stuff that you discover when you study english to a more academic level or when you get into a more advanced level you start to uncover these cool things like connected speech and weak forms and uh, I, I think a lot of learners of English, certainly the ones who get to a good level, get to a have a moment where they discover all this stuff about how the written word and the spoken word are totally different and about the ways in which, like, especially when you learn the phonemic script and you start to transcribe sentences into phonemic script, then you start to see, oh my goodness, this whole sentence is more like one word, really, you know, mm. and, and things like that. Um so, yes, it's not the stuff that learners of English get at the beginning. You know, most learners of English are focused on uh, grammar, vocabulary, reading, writing, you know, those right. sorts of traditional things. They may things. think this is just slang in quotations. The thing is, yeah. when we're speaking, um, even very high-level speakers of English go watch a presentation from Steve Jobs or who you want. They'll use these things. So it's not that this is slang. It's not just in the street speaking to the drug dealer who's who are using these things no 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 <laughs> these things are being used all over the place okay yeah honestly absolutely so. um um it relates to writing as well we're talking about using bullet points in emails and trying to avoid acronyms too much yeah there's another thing with with emails Use bullet points if you can. I mean, I would say to a native speaker, use bullet points when you can for so many reasons. It just simplifies things and just generally makes things easier to read. Nobody wants to get a big, long paragraph of text they have to decipher. (laughs) I mean, even in our first language, we would prefer it to be in little chunks, probably. Um, As a second language speaker, English learner, it's, it's, it's difficult to go through all of that. It's much easier if I have these things in bullet points where I could just have a, a quick answer. I could focus on one little piece of language. Um, 
it's much easier to present the language in an easier way. Here's the big thing in general. I would say to a native speaker, look, you could speak fluently. Of course you can speak fluently. It's your language. I know. <laughs> but if you're speaking in this way without adapting, you may have beautiful sentences coming out of your mouth that are correct, 100%. But this is beautiful gibberish. 80% of your audience doesn't understand you, sir. <laughs> and if you're speaking to an international group, I think you want them to understand you. And if only 20% of the people understand you, that's on you. Uh, sorry, mm -hmm. it's on you. <laughs> in my mm -hmm. job, I, I'm in multinational companies and observe a lot of real-life meetings. I do a lot of observation of people. And that happens very, very often. Okay? Um, mm. At the end of the day, what do you want? Do you want communication or do you want perfect English that no one understands? <laughs> okay. Absolutely. In in the PDF that Christian sent me, which is your pamphlet, which is the, the you know which describes uh, this whole project, and I guess people can download it. We'll find out about that in a minute. On page uh, fifty, um, there's a um, well, there's a quote. The quote says, "Needless complexity leads to negative evaluations," and apparently, in a 2005 uh, uh, study in Princeton. The researcher wanted to know if using complex language helps you to communicate better. And he performed five different experiments, including replacing all of the nouns, verbs and adjectives in a text with its longest entry in the thesaurus. And he discovered that when you use complex language, people rate you lower in intelligence, likability and trustworthiness. So people think that you are less intelligent, less likable and uh, less uh, trustworthy. Uh, and he summarized, needless complexity leads to negative evaluations. And the reason is simple. If people can't understand you, they can't understand your message. So instead of being a tool to communicate, language becomes a barrier to communication. Mm -hmm. um, so, right. Matt, have you had any kind of pushback or criticism about, uh, about this work then? A little. I think some people... Let's be honest, some people will just never adapt because they don't feel that they need to. They come from the point of view that we're speaking in English. This is my my language in quotations. <laughs> and everyone mm -hmm. should learn it. They think it's not that difficult. You should just learn it. And I'm not going to adapt. So I think there's some specific people that we may never be able to uh, convince of this. But maybe they like to discriminate. <laughs> Maybe they are some people <laughs> just don't like foreigners. There could be many other reasons underneath that. <laughs> Language is often yes. used as a form of discrimination. So, yes. And I, I think that there's some people who are in that category. Um, otherwise, yeah, I think that pushback, I think most of it comes from that direction. I think another mm -hmm. thing that happens while doing these workshops that I've seen is that people say – they listen to this, they see this, they do some exercises, they say, yeah, it's, it's good, it's right, I need to be more aware of that. But I'm good, I don't do it anyways. <laughs> you know, I'm already pretty good at this. Right. The reality is, is there isn't, because if we actually observe them in a meeting, and sometimes in such workshops, you could have observation in their company where a trainer listens to their meeting, and then they give them feedback, and you actually throw their own words back at them, they're really shocked. <laughs> so they think really? that they're not doing those things, but actually they are. They, they, yes. So that's another thing that happens quite often. 
I did I did actually receive a comment on YouTube um, in response to my most recent conversation with Christian in which we did mention this project near the end. He talked about how native speakers often are completely unaware of how bad they are at communicating with non-natives in English. And um, the comment is from Dawn Peacock. Dawn is an English teacher on YouTube and she really enjoyed the conversation. She doesn't fit into that category of people who just take against the idea of the project maybe for right. other uh, reasons dawn is you know she's got a different um uh comment here so what she said was this she said i watched this about a week ago and i'm still wondering about one thing when you talk about training native english speakers to communicate with non-native speakers i wonder in what contexts we would be advised to speak with fewer idioms take time to enunciate more carefully than we would naturally and so on she says it's a little unclear to me at what point the communication is considered global even giving a conference here in the US, so Dawn is from the States, even giving a conference here in the US in a big city, a third or more of the audience might be composed of non-native speakers of English. And so, blah, 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 blah. Um, should um, The question is, in what situations should native English speakers simplify their language to be more comprehensive or more comprehensible to non-native speakers? Um, so yeah, I guess the, the, the point she's making there is that, um, when do you define a situation as global? When is it necessary to start adapting? Uh, because there is a gray area. Sometimes you get groups yeah. which are a mix of natives and non-natives and stuff like that. So what about that? And I, she also did mention, doesn't it feel like as well, there's a danger that if we constantly adapt, the more the global, every situation becomes, the more we adapt, the more we sort of lose in terms of, subtleties and and shades of meaning and and the beauty of certain idioms so the hmm. first question is when when should native speakers adapt how do we know when we're in a global situation and secondly is this likely to a, have any kind of effect is it going to dumb down the language in general mm -hmm. let's see good questions i think the first question is it's not in it's not in clear thing all the time. It's just simply not easy to always know that. But I think we need to think of our audience like we, we normally would. We have to look at our audience and think, who are we communicating to? Who's the target of this message? Um, mm. that's, the, that's where I would start from. Then there are going to be some situations where your target may be both. <laughs> okay. And then I would probably suggest to go somewhere in the middle. Um, it's very different if I'm giving a TED Talk than if I'm speaking inside of a, a Teams meeting in my company. And I think, honestly, most of the people in the world are not giving TED Talks. So I don't think that situation comes up so often. <laughs> But if mm -hmm. it does, we need to think of our audience and find some balance there in the middle. And a way we might be able to accommodate that is just say, you know, um, we have this expression. I have, I use this, I like this expression. It means this. You, you just have a little maybe comment there that doesn't disturb the native speakers too much <laughs> okay yeah but it, it helps maybe use a lot of signposting which we should use anyways in our first language so yeah if i have a good structure and a good story that's that's clear i mean that's going to help as well so what makes better communication for non-natives 
will often make better communi- communication for natives too because you know keep it simple is always a, a good uh, thing to remember yeah just basically keep it simple don't overcomplicate your message okay what about the other th- thing which is the question the, about dumbing dawn, down if you want the english yeah. i'm sure she doesn't mean that in a negative way but i understand what she she means there about losing the subtle beautiful pieces of an idiom or an expression that you can't communicate in another way okay um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is the English language in general? I think we don't have any control of that anyways. Let's remember that how many English speakers, native English speakers are there in the world compared to non-native English speakers. So what, 400, mm. 500 million, whatever it is, native speakers there are in the world. And maybe between 1 billion and 2 billion second language English speakers. The, the language is already in the global hands. Okay, so... I think yeah. that we don't need to worry about that. I think that you have different types of Englishes you use with different people. When you speak to your friends in a pub, you don't say um, the English language is going to be destroyed because I'm speaking this way in this one moment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, you're still able yeah. to adapt your language into a very beautiful flowery, flowerly way in another situation so i don't think that it's somehow dumbing it down that we're adapting within that moment i think it always depends Mm -hmm. on your audience and the language will take care of itself (laughs) and if we lose some beautiful idiom we'll lose it that happens anyways honestly we lose language all the time (laughs) things are constantly shifting Uh, expressions are you know stop being used new things come in other, other things go away yeah it's constantly changing anyway yeah you really feel like you need to use that beautiful idiom because you can't explain it in another way. That's fine. Cool. Use it. But just be sure you check with your audience, maybe, that they understand what it means. Yeah. Again, I can create a beautiful sentence that no one understands. That's not very helpful for communication. What's your goal? <laughs> if you're writing poetry yeah. is one goal. But if I'm trying to communicate, that's a different goal. So, yeah. Yeah, it comes down to the old things of form and function. Things ultimately have to be functional first. Um, I guess. Yes. So um, where can people find out more about this? We, we mentioned the pamphlet, the PDF that Christian sent me. Where can people yeah, find think, out these things and so on? I think that um, probably you'll you'll link that maybe in, in the show notes yeah, here or what. I will. And if anyone wants that, I will it's, actually. Just a, it's a simple PDF created by Christian and myself. It's quite simple if you could flip through it really easily and it has um 21 tips basically for native english speakers to adapt um i would say if you're working with native speakers that are difficult to understand (laughs) the question is how would you get this into their hands that's a difficult question (laughs) to answer (laughs) but um yeah this is something you could pass around maybe you could pass it around to others if you're just learning english you could still take it maybe look at it and you could look at this in the opposite way look these are 21 obstacles that native speakers are presenting to me (laughs) Yeah, yeah um yeah yeah and Maybe you could think, okay, I should try to work on these things. It's about meeting in the middle always. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it could be used in different ways. Yeah, fascinating stuff. Really good. Good luck with the project, and uh, really good to talk to you about all of this. And uh, well, where can, can do you have a website or somewhere that people can go to find out about your work that you do online at all? Sure. I have my own little website, but it's, it's not so important. It's coyote English. 
okay, but mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that just has some vocabulary things. And I do some speaking challenges, but it's all about speaking and communicating. But um, yeah. you know what I think? If someone is interested in, in exercising their English or wants to get to know me or maybe even work or have lessons with Christian and so on, would be um, this charity mm-hmm. project that we've worked on together, his project that I joined. Mm-hmm. Um, also because these workshops that we're doing for native speakers – our plan is that the, the profit from that, if it's for a company, that goes back to this charity project, which is a really cool project about building schools in, in some countries that need them. Okay. Um, do, do you, so that do, would be somewhere yeah. to, to go to. Do you still need uh, assistance, support you know what they, for the we, project? We did with that. Of course, Christian did most of this. But he collected a community of people that are exercising their English Okay, so mm. they're exercising every day in a telegram group. They have different lessons with different teachers that are volunteering their time mm. for it. Mm. And um, he collected or we collected $50,000, a lot of money, guys, yeah. to build a school in Laos. And now we're starting up on the, on the second one. Um, but more importantly, I mean, most importantly is, is those kids getting a school. But also this was a great, fun place to exercise your English. In your English, you need everything, right? You need a mixed di- diet. You need to listen to Luke's podcast. You need to watch some YouTube video. <laughs> you need to read something. You need to do a little bit of everything. <clears throat> and this is yeah. one way to exercise your speaking, I'd say. Where do people go then to, to take part in, in that group? I think they should go to Christian's website because it's through his project. So at kanguroenglish.com, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Great. Thank you for talking to us about this, Matt. It's been really interesting. Can I say a final thing for all those learners out there? Um, Please do. When you don't understand, when you're frustrated, when you don't understand that American colleague who comes in, um, just remember that it may not only be you, okay? (laughs) It may not be you, okay? You have done a lot of work. You are doing a lot of work, and you're always improving your English, it may be that the person in front of you isn't adapting that well. And that's nice. They need to adapt. We need to understand them in the moment. I know that's frustrating. That's difficult. I know. But just from a motivation point of view, remember that. Motivation is everything. So it's your key to learning language, as Luke says often. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. All right, great. Well, um, good. I'll let you go then now. Have a lovely day. And um, thanks again for talking to us. Yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Pleasure. Okay. Bye for now. That was a good end. <laughs> was it okay? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Well, that was Matt Halsdorf talking about the Travel Adapter, a training course for native speakers of English to help them communicate better uh, globally. So um, over to you. What do you think? Um, I'm very keen to read your comments, and I'm sure that you had things popping into your head during this conversation. Well, if that's the case, then why not express them in English here in the comment section? Um, So a couple of questions. Do you have experiences of communicating with native speakers in English? And if you do, then what was it like? Did they adapt their speech? Uh, Was it difficult? What was difficult about it? 
And do you think native speakers should adapt their speech when talking to non-natives or not? And why? Let us know by leaving your thoughts in the comments section, probably on my website, that's the best place, teacherluke.co.uk. And when you are commenting, make sure you comment on the episode page. Don't comment on the main uh, front page because there are lots of comments that come in there and your comment will be lost after a few days. Uh, so make sure you post episode-specific comments on the uh, you know appropriate episode pages and you'll find all of those in the episode archive. And they are numbered, of course. Uh, this one is episode 740. Okay, but that's it for now. Thank you for listening, and I will speak to you again soon. I've, as I said earlier, I've got a little announcement coming in the next few weeks that's pretty cool, plus the usual free episodes and premium episodes on their way, as usual. So I will speak to you soon, but for now, it's just time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.